Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Simplifying the Sod. This week we read the Perashah of Mitzorah. In the community we often call it Tahor because we don't like to say Mitzorah. So I'm going to uh, post this class. This class is actually from last year. Uh, it's on the double Perashah of Tazriya Mitzorah. But it focuses on the idea of Sarat and the cause of Sarat. A little bit different than the traditional thinking of what the cause was. Uh, and uh, we review based on the Haftarah. So last week we would have read the Haftarah with, uh, with Naaman. And uh, this week we read the Haftarah with Gechazeh. Last week we replaced the Haftarah because it was, it was Shabbat uh, Parshat HaChodesh and it was also Rosh Chodesh. So uh, last week we really focused on other things to teach and not on the perasha itself. So this week uh, let's uh, try to focus on the perasha and let's begin. That looks like leprosy. We, we know this perasha is a big focus. Many people uh, focus on the, the idea of Lashon Hara. It's become a big subject for people to work on. We have uh, Hafez Chaim Foundation, uh, Michael Rothschild, give him a big plug, he does amazing work. He got so many people to look at Lashon Hara, to look at what they're doing and what they're speaking. And and growing up, that's what the focus really always was. This Sarat, this spiritual uh, with physical manifestation of leprosy, was always, we learned, was a result of Lashon Hara. Evil speech uh, is... Uh, is a more literal translation, gossip, saying bad things about people, and, and that results in this. And I think something that, that I had a discussion with someone about at uh, the beginning of the week, and uh, it's interesting that that we have this thing called uh, called sarat, but sarat is not is not a problem until Sarat is not a problem until the Kohen calls it Sarat. So, for example, we have this concept of Sarat in the house. We have a house that can get uh, leprosy on the wall, so to say. And uh, what happens is, uh, before the Kohen pronounces it, you see it, you know it's there, you tell the Kohen to come, but before he comes in the house and says anything, you could take everything out of the house. Because once he comes in the house and says that it is Sarat, then everything in the house becomes Tamen, you have a problem. The same about a person. If we don't declare that it's Sarat, it isn't Sarat. So maybe that relates to the idea of Lashon Hara. I think the idea of Lashon Hara is that Lashon Hara is, you're speaking about something and someone and you don't realize that the speech that, you, that you're making, the words that you're saying, create a reality. And I think one of the ideas behind the, the requirement of the Kohen to say that this is Sarat is because we have to teach the person who's saying it that just like the Kohen's words create a reality of whether this is Sarat or whether this is no longer Sarat and whether that person is Taman has to go outside of the city, outside of the camp, outside of where people are. It all depends on the words of the Kohen and he should realize that words create a reality. Now, that that's what most of, most of the time we learned in this parasha. But we're trying to understand really what's the root root cause. Root the root cause. What's the root cause of lashon hara? The rabbis give a whole list of why people can get sarat, and and I think to try to get a hint and try to understand 
what the source is of this sarat. What is it that brings it upon ourselves? We have to look at the haftarah. Now this year, because it's not a leap year, we're combining two portions, tazriyah and mitzorah. So we have a double perasha this week. It's a long, long perasha. Not easy one for the Baal Koreh to read. A.B., thank you. You do a great job every week. Now, we could look at the haftarah and try to get an understanding of what the perasha is all about. Remember that the haftarah is a section from the Navi, from the Prophets, and we read it at the conclusion of reading the Sefer Torah. We read the Maftir, which is a repeating of the last few verses of the portion, and then we read the Haftarah. The origin of the Haftarah is subject to debate. The most common explanation, the one we were all taught, is that in the second century before the Common Era, the Jews under the rule of the Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes, he's the famous guy from the uh, from the Hanukkah story, my grandson Yosef, he tells you you are going to be evil like Epiphanes, right? He says they were forbidden under his rule to read from the Torah. The Torah considered the five books of Moses. So the sages instituted that a section of the Navi, a section of the prophets, would be read instead each week, usually, that section is related to the perasha and really can give us a better understanding at least of what the sages of that period, the sages of before the Mishnah, the sages of the Mishnah, what their thoughts were on the perasha based on the, uh, the haftarah. Now certainly the haftarah was read as far back as the times of the Mishnah, the first century of the common era. The Gemara discusses which ta- which haftarot were read and why, and some even accredit the the starting of the haftarah to Ezra Hana Ezra Ezra Sofer Ezra, and that's uh, in the 350 or so before the Common Era. And I always imagine that I think that Ezra may may have done that because you know people may have said, oh, the uh, sorry, letting people in. Um, he may have said that. Uh, People may have said the Torah is important, but the Navi is not important. So to make the Navi and give it validity, maybe Ezra made it so that we read it every week. So let's first look at, say we had two separate parshiot, we would have had a haftarah for Tazriah, and we would have a haftarah for uh, Mitzorah. So let's look at the haftarah for Tazriah that we would have read had it been divided. Because if we look at the two haftarot, they're actually related because one follows the other and the stories are completely related. But if we understand the story of the haftarah, it will give us a better understanding of this whole idea of Sarat. We have the story is about a general. He's, an Egypt, he's a Syrian general. He's the head general of Aram. His name is Naaman. He's a big hero for the for the people of Aram. He's a big hero for the Syrians. He killed the Israelite king Ahab with his arrow. He's the leading general. He's the five-star head of the Pentagon. He runs everything for the Assyrian army. And he has that he took back when he conquered when he conquered Israel. He took back slaves with him, servants, and among his servants was a Jewish girl. And this Naaman, he's suffering from what appears to be Sarat. Now, how could you say that this Naaman, this Assyrian king, is suffering from something caused by Lashon Hara? He's not uh, subject to the rules of Lashon Hara. I don't see in the seven 
mitzvot of B'nai Noach, that they're, uh, they're subject to, they're subject to the, uh, the laws of Lashon Hara. And still this Assyrian king has this leprosy all over his body. He's suffering terribly. And this girl who works for him, this slave girl, says, you know, when I lived in Eretz Israel, there was this an amazing, amazing prophet, great Mekubal. You go to this guy, and he will definitely figure out what to do to cure you. So what happens is he goes to the king and he says to the king, Your Majesty, I have this terrible, this terrible disease. And the girl says that there's a man in Israel, he could, he could cure me. So the king of Aram sends a letter to the king of Israel. And he says, I'm sending you my, my chief of staff, I'm sending you my general, and I want you to cure my general from his, from his affliction, from his sarat. Melech Israel, what does he do? He tears Kriya. Oi, what are we going to do? The guy's going to come, we're not going to cure him, and they're going to kill us. And what does he do? He sends a message to Elisha, Elisha the Navi. Remember Eliyahu Hanavi? And his servant was Elisha. When Eliyahu left the world, Elisha said, I'll become the Navi. I want to be twice as great, be able to do twice as many miracles. So Elisha says, No problem. Let him come and let him know that there's a Navi be Israel. So Naaman comes down from Aram, he comes down from Syria, he comes to Elisha. He comes to a small little house, and he's there with his army guys, his troops, his own staff. They knock on the door of the prophet, and they say, The great king, the great general, sorry, the great general, Naaman, is here to see the prophet Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even get up from the table. He doesn't come to the door. He doesn't look out the door. He doesn't come out to greet them. He doesn't come out to say anything. He sends his own people out, and he says, Tell Naaman to go to the Jordan River, to the Yarden, and to dip seven times. Naaman, the general, becomes very angry. He says, this is why I came here. You don't even have enough respect to come to me, the great general. Show me respect, and you're going to send me to this little tiddly river called the Jordan? We have greater rivers in Syria, greater rivers that feed, that come down all the way. That That's where you get your water from, is from us. Our great rivers are so much greater than the Jordan. Why would, I, why would I lower myself to go into this Jordan River? And his servants say to him, Listen, great general, we're already here. What's the harm to try? Let's go and let's, let's go and let's try dipping in the Jordan River and let's see what happens. And sure enough, Naaman, the general, goes to the Jordan River. He dips seven times in the Jordan River. He comes out after the seventh time and he looks at his skin and it's brand new like a baby. He, he can't believe it. It's beyond a miracle. He hurries back with all of his entourage to go to the house of Elisha. He offers his apologies. He begs his forgiveness. He begs permission that he should be able to take some earth back with him to Aram. He also apologizes in advance and he says, you know, when the king's going to ask me to go to the Makom Avodah Zarah, to the temples, I'm going to go with him, but know that I believe only that Hashem is the God. And he says to Elisha, he says, what can I give you? How can I thank you? What riches can I leave you with? And Elisha says, 
thank you very much, but nothing. I need nothing. He says, please, I want to give you something. No, all good, nothing, thank you. I'm glad I was able to help you. So now what happens is, Elisha has a servant. His servant's name is Gehazi. Gehazi, after Elisha goes back inside and Naaman starts to go, what does Gehazi do? He runs after Naaman. He says, you know what, you know what? General, general, my master is a very, very uh, humble person. But you know, we have a yeshiva, and the yeshiva has a lot of debts. And the truth is, you know, if you give us a big donation... I know his blessing will, will, will go and you see how, how magical his blessing is. Imagine what it'll do if you leave us with a big donation for the yeshiva. So Elishat, so, so Naaman says, whatever you want. He takes literally a bag of gold and hands him the gold. And Gehaze takes the gold and goes to the bank and sticks it in his personal safe deposit box. And as he comes back to the Navi, Elisha says, Gehaze, I can't believe what you did. You think I don't know that you took the money from Naaman after I told him not, we don't want any money? And what happens at that point? The Sarat that was on Naaman, the general, transfers to Gehaze and his children. Until now, we said Lashon Hara. But we see Naaman getting it, leaving Naaman. And now Gehazi, for, for taking the money, he gets it and it transfers for him to him. What's going on? What's going on? And you could just imagine, you know, what was going on. Yehoram, who was the king, must have been so scared. And now Naaman's going to go back. He says, really, it's, it's something. Now let's jump to the next, to the next uh, Haftarah. The next Haftarah is the Haftarah of Mesorah, which we actually are going to read. And there's a terrible, terrible famine. Again, it's the time of this king, Yehoram. And it's in the seventh year of a famine. There's literally no rain, no food, no nothing. And not only is there no food, but the king of Aram is going to lay siege around, around uh, Shomron, around the capital city. And that's causing this terrible, terrible famine because of a siege. You can't get food in, you can't get food out. Everyone within the, the city is, is, is literally, the, 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 the Navi is telling us that, that people became cannibals. They ate the bodies of people who passed away. So Yehoram the king comes to the Navi and he says, You know, Elisha, you're this miracle worker. You do all of these things. I demand you turn to Hashem. Remember, he's an evil king. He says, I demand you turn to Hashem and you end the siege and you end the hunger. What's he going to do? He comes to him on a Tuesday. He says, I demand that it be gone. Elisha turns to Yehoram. He says, you demand? Well, Hashem's going to make a miracle. And tomorrow, not only is the siege going to end, but there's going to be so much food that there's going to be a crash in the market price for food and the stock market price is going to go tumbling. Wheat, which was selling at a thousand shekels a barrel, is going to be selling for ten shekels. He says, the king is a very weak king. He doesn't know what to do. And he's there with his own chief of staff. And his own chief of staff looks at Elisha 
And he says, you prophet, you religious people, you lunatics. How could you say such a thing? It's absolutely impossible. The price of wheat is going to go from a thousand shekels to ten shekels overnight when we don't have even one little dot to eat. People are eating the bodies of their children. How can you say that? And Elisha says to this general, to this chief of staff of Yehoram, he says, you're going to see it, but you're not going to enjoy it. And this is where the Haftarah begins. There are four people with Sarat. That's the most obvious connection to the Berashah. They were banished outside the walls of Shomron. They have to stay out. They're lepers. They, they can't be in the city. And when a person has Sarat, he not only is sent outside the city, he has to announce as he walks, I have Sarat, stay away from me. They're dressed in rags. And now what are they doing? They're, uh, they're the side of the city and there's no more food. The Navi tells us the king had five horses left. I guess they were planning on even eating those. And like the rest of the people, these four, these four people with Sarat, they're starving from the famine. And they decide, you know what? We ain't got nothing to lose. What are we going to do? We're going to go outside the city into the camp of the people from Aram. Maybe they'll take pity on us and they'll give us some food to eat. And if they don't take pity on us and they kill us, well, it's probably better to die from a sword than to die from hunger. You put yourself in their shoes. It's 1948, Jerusalem, the Jordanians. Interesting tonight, Yom Ha'atzma'ut. And turning yourself into the Arabs could be a fate worse than death. Now what happens is you have hundreds of thousands or so of troops outside the city, circling the city, all these Syrians. And what happens is they're sitting there waiting, they're waiting, waiting it out until the city starves to death and they walk in and take over. All of a sudden, the earth starts to rumble. And these troops think they hear massive numbers of Egyptians massive number of Hittites coming to the aid of the people of Israel. They think that the Israelite king has some way hired thousands and tens of thousands of mercenaries and they're coming to attack them. During the night, Hashem made a miracle and what happens is these forces from Ashur, these forces from Assyria, from Aram, what do they do? They get scared, they get up, and they run. They run. You know, you have pictures of the Arab forces running. They leave everything behind, their tents, their horses, their supplies, all of the food they had, all of the bonfires, all of the animals roasting on the fire. They leave their clothing, they leave their stuff, they leave everything, and they run. And now what happens? These four people with Sarat come out into the enemy camp and there's food cooking on the barbecue. There's bread baking on the, uh, on the, uh, the metal plates. And there's no soldiers. No soldiers. So what do they do? They decide to go to the gate and they yell up, Hey, let us in! Let us in! They don't want to let them in. They open the gate. They're going to be attacked. Tell Yoram that the enemy has run away. 
Yehoram comes to the gate. Obviously, he knows these people with Sarat because we're going to see who they were. And he's nervous. He says, maybe this is a trap. They know how desperate we are. They're going to hide outside. We're going to come out, open the gate, and they're going to attack us. They're going to destroy us. So what happens? He sends out two horses. And they go through the whole camp and surrounding the camp. And they say, you know what? The army ran away. They confirm the miracle. They confirm the miracle. As soon as they confirm the miracle, the gatekeeper opens the gate. And he allows the people from the city out. They all come running through the gate to go out into the camp to take all of the food, everything that's there. The massive amount of food was so great that the price of food immediately plummeted. It bottomed out just like Elisha promised. And who was standing at the front of the gate? The king's general, the king's chief of staff. And as he's standing there and the gatekeeper is lifting the gate to let the people out, he's standing in the middle. They run over him, trample him, kill him. So just like the Navi said, he would see it happen, but he wouldn't taste from the food. So what merit did these four people with Sarat have that they were the ones to save the people? What was the merit? There's a Gemara in Mesechet Tamid and it says there were ten questions that Alexander the Great put to the sages of the Negev, put to the sages of the South. He asked them different questions. He asked them meaning of different verses. And he asked them to explain because he said it was too difficult to understand. Question number seven. He asks, what should one do in order to live? What should one do in order to live? So the sages turn to Alexander and they say, Harotzeh lichyot yamut. The person who wishes to live should die. Huh? The person who wishes to live should die. The Rosh says, he should lower himself. He should toil for food to live in this world. He should deny himself pleasures. He should toil in the Torah and he should live in the world to come. Saying, so he's saying not really to die, but Harotzeh a person who wants to live yamut, he should live as if he's dead. And the next question, number eight, what should one do in order to die? The rabbis tell Alexander, the person who wants to die, he should live. The Chachamim say he should make himself great. What does that do? The rabbis explain, this brings envy, this brings the ayin hara upon the person, and eventually it will cause the person to die. Rashi explaining says, to live, hide yourself. Hide yourself. To die, show off. Explains Rabbeinu Ha'ari. Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah tells us, the Pasuk tells us, he was 120 years old. The last day of his life. 
And what does the Pasuk have to tell us on the last day of his life? He can see, he has strength. He doesn't need glasses. He doesn't need a cane to walk. Why do we need to know this the last day of his life? No glasses, no cane. He's perfectly healthy. What do we need to know? Rabbi Hari says, Hashem created the world. If we see the Gemara Megillah, says Rabbi Yochanan said, wherever you find greatness of the Holy One, blessed be He of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there you also find His Anavut, His humility. He brings proof where it's written in the Torah, where it's written in the Navi, where it's written in Ketuvim. And we say wherever we find the greatness of Hashem, we also find the the uh, humility of Hashem. And the rabbis ask a question. What's so important about humility? What's so important about humility that Hashem always includes humility in His own greatness? Dora Chaim HaKadosh, He teaches us that the Torah can only be mastered by walking humbly. He says, as one walks Ekev, Ekev is heel the heel to the toe. Someone who walks with small steps that his heel is near his toe, that person walking humbly, that person, that person, the Ora Chaim, tells us that person is the humble person. The rabbis tell us, Ekev Anava Yirat Hashem. Ekev Anava, we have from Shlomo Amel, the, the humility relates to the fear of heaven. The Meha Shiloh writes on this. When a person is humble, he ends up coming to fear Hashem. And he relates this to the Avot. Abraham, Rashid Chochma, Yirat Hashem. Then Givura through Yitzhak. And finally, we see Yaakov. Yaakov's name is associated with Ekev, heal, heal, humility. All the Avot had tremendous, tremendous humility. We see in the Sefer Orchot Chaim Laharosh. It says, first and foremost is the need to stay extremely far from pride. Stay away from ga'ava. For when a man has ga'ava, when a man is haughty, he cannot attain anything. The first blossoming and ascent life leads upwards for the wise is modesty and humility. That is why he directs us to be like this so often. And this fits, says the Sefer, with Chazal's comment of the verse, because of modesty, there is fear of heaven. The word for because is ekev, which also means heal. You know, Hashem is talking to the Nahash after the sin in Gan Eden. What does he say? He says, you're going to be arch enemies, you against man. And he says to the snake, Hu yeshuv harosh, teshufenu ekev. You're going to be able, he's going to smash your head, but you're going to be able to bite his heel. Says the Arizal, Ekev anava yirat shamayim. Ekev anava, this humility is the fear of heaven. The Satan explains the Gemara. The root of all bad entities, the root of their power, the root of all sickness comes only if they can find you. Only if they can find you. Only if you set yourself up for as a target, especially for the angels, only if you make yourself recognizable, 
can you be attacked by these bad entity, entities, these sicknesses, etc. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat in 88 tells us that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shamayim, the angels asked, Hashem, we're up in Shamayim. This is a place for angels. What is a person born of a woman? What is a person doing here? Hashem tells the Malachim, he came to receive the Torah. The Midrash says, Hashem gives him the Torah. Satan turns to Hashem and says, Hashem, where's the Torah? Hashem says, I gave it to Moshe. Satan says, I can't find him. What do you mean he can't find him? How is it possible the angel can't find Moshe? Because when a person diminishes themselves, when a person is humble, the angel can't find you. If you want to live, hide. How? Be humble. The secret of thriving, the secret of living is humility. Not for Hashem's sake, say, oh, I'm going to be humble for Hashem. For a person's own protection. If a person shows off, that person has to be very, very careful. The angels will come after you. Showing off puts a target on your back. The person attracts the Ayin Hara. All of that comes from pride. There's a story told about the Megalea Mukot. The Megalea Mukot lived about 350 years ago. And many of the, his, his, his uh, Rabbi Yohannes and Ivashit writes in his introduction, he says that his grandfather, who was the Megalea Mukot, was a Pesheli of Maran Rabbeinu Ha'ari. He says that the Megalea Mukot was a Talmud, Talmud, his grandfather was a Talmud of Rabbi Yisroel Surug, who was a Talmud in some way of Rabbeinu Ha'ari, as, and Rabbeinu mentions him several times. So we see this connection, direct connection, from the Megaleh Amukot to Rabbeinu Ha'ari. There's an interesting story that depicts the extraordinary humility of Rav Natan Neta. It's told about him. It happened while the Bach, the Bach who passed away a year around 5400, 5401. The Bach was the rabbi of the city of Krakow. The Bach was walking down the street and he noticed two other people walking slowly. The two people, their faces were radiant like the blazing sun. He then saw four people running after them and their faces were covered with soot like they were from the bottom of a pot. And the four were chasing the two, but never caught them. The Bach went up to those whose faces were covered with soot. He greeted them, he asked them, who are you? They refused to answer. The Bach stopped them and said, I'm the Rav of the city. I decree upon you immediately to answer my question. The four couldn't refuse his answer. And they said, we are the four leapers. We are the four with Sarat. We are Gehaze, the former servant of Elisha. And we are his three sons. And he said to them, and who are the two people you're running after? And they said, they are Eliyahu Hanavi and Elisha Hanavi. And this is our punishment. <clears throat> we have to run after Elisha, but we could never catch them. And the Bach asks them, where did they go? And they said they were on their way to see the Megalea Mukot. 
the Bach hurried to the house of the Megalea Mukot and told him, I know for sure that Eliyahu Hanavi is in the house with you. Ask him why he comes to you. He doesn't come to me. The Megalea Mukot asked Eliyahu the question. And Eliyahu Hanavi said to him, The Bach is the rabbi of the city. And in order to be the chief rabbi of any city, a person has to have some pride, some gava. Since if he completely lacked it, the Baalei Batim, the house, the, 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 the people of the city, would gain control over him. Nonetheless, I can't come to him because of the small amount of pride that he has to show. We have a frightening story also brought with regard to the Megalem Kot. A Chacham comes to visit from out of town to Krakow to visit his father-in-law. The Megalea Mukot is one of the great rabbis of the city. He ignores this rabbi who came from out of town. He says, the rabbis of the town see as a big problem. How can this one rabbi be so disrespectful to a rabbi visiting from another town? This rabbi is also very upset and he goes to the other rabbis and he tells them, listen, you have to do something. It's not respectful for one rabbi to be so horrible to another rabbi. It's going to go, we're going to all go down in the face of the people. <clears throat> so the other rabbis of town decide to get together and they're going to put sanctions against the Megalamukot. After 10 days of not greeting him, the Megaleh Amukot goes to this Chacham and he says, Shalom Aleichem, welcome to our town. And this Chacham, who's been there for 10 days, says, uh, I'm sorry, it's too late. Now what happens? The rabbis are getting together. They want to put a cherem. They want to expel him. They want to excommunicate him. But we have to realize the Megaleh Amukot, his job in the town was he was the, rab he was the rabbi of the butchers. Every question that the butchers had on slaughtering the animals, how to slaughter, is it kosher, is it not kosher, they all brought to him. And in that town, when did they do their slaughtering? On Saturday night. So the butchers came to him and said, we have a question, is this cow okay, this cow okay, this one, this one, and he refused to answer. He said to the butchers, you know what, go ask one of the other rabbis, I'm sorry. They don't like me in this town. I can't answer your questions. I'm very, very sorry. You have to go to someone else. So the butchers run to the home of the chief rabbi, and it turns out he's having a meeting with the vad, all the rabbis of town. And they're writing out the cherem, the excommunication against the Megalea Mukot. The butchers are so upset that what do they do? They run in and they tear up. They tear up the documents that these rabbis are writing. So the chief rabbi comes quickly to the home of Megaleo Mukot and he says, what's going on? And the Megaleo Mukot explains to him, this rabbi who came from out of town, when he left his own town, he was escorted out of town. Everyone was wishing him well. And he saw all these people escorting him out of town and Gava, his pride started to swell. And at that point, a lady came and needed something from him. But his pride was so high, he didn't even see her. He ignored her. At that moment in Shamayim, there was a curse against him. And that curse would have killed him. And that curse ended today. And that's why I said hello. Until today, I wasn't permitted. This is how bad pride is. Hashem hates 
a person with gava, he can't be in the same aroma with that person. More so that a person with too much pride, a person with too much gava, a person who thinks, you know who I am, that person can lose his zechut to exist. I remember once, maybe 20 years ago, we were going away for a January yeshiva vacation, and my father-in-law, my father-in-law got there the week before. And we were coming with the kids for a week, and we were going to arrive on Sunday. My father-in-law had already been there for a week before, him and his wife. And this hotel, they didn't give you any rooms until you got there. My father-in-law always made friends with everybody. Everybody loved him, from the housekeeper to the bartender to the... Everyone loved him, because he talked every... He spoke every language, he understood everyone. And he made sure that we were going to get there. We had these nice rooms on the beach. But I remember getting online, and my father-in-law said, don't bother getting online, we got your room. But we got online with the other 50 people who came for vacation. And everyone got to the desk. And the first thing they said, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Everyone in the hotel was, do you know who I am? That's the problem. Sometimes we think, you know, person doesn't know who I am. Our pride gets to us. The secret, explains the rabbis, is to remain below the radar. To survive... Be a nobody. This is how you will survive in this world. Undoubtedly the greatest was Moshe Rabbeinu. Yet the Torah itself says that Moshe was the most humble of every human being. 120 years. He doesn't need glasses. He doesn't need cane. He doesn't need a facelift. He doesn't need anything. Says the Gemara, all sickness comes from Gava, comes from something called Gasut Haruach, comes from showing off, comes from the angels who say, Who is this guy who says, Do they know who I am? Ayin Hara comes from pride. They answered Alexander the Great, You want to live? Play dead. You want to die? Show off. Suggest Rabbeinu Hari. We spoke last week about Nadav and Avihu. The question is, even if they were sacrificing themselves, what did it all happen? What was the tipping point? Suggest Rabbeinu Hari. The tipping point that led to their death was pride. Was Gava. We look at the list we made last week of the rabbi's suggestions of what they did. One of them was they didn't want to get married. Why? No one's good enough. The Targum tells us Nadav and Avihu were very, very handsome. But they didn't have wives. Because, says the Targum, they were arrogant. Many women remained unmarried. They were all praying and hoping, I'm not going to marry anyone because they're going to marry me. But uh, Nadav and Avihu, we said last week, they said our uncle is Moshe, he's the king. Our other uncle, Nachshon, is the prince, the greatest of the princes of Yehuda. Our father is Aaron HaKohen. We are the assistants of Aaron HaKohen. Which woman is good enough for us? They brought an Esh Sarah. They didn't ask. They were waiting for when Moshe and Aaron are going to leave the scene so they could take over. All of this has to do with pride. And we discussed that a Sadiq is judged by the breath of a hair. Even slight pride is dangerous. Explains that Rabbeinu Ari in Sha'ar HaGilgulim, in the Haktama, this is in the gate of reincarnation. 
He says that the souls of Nadab and Avihu, their source was Adam Harishon himself. The level of nefesh of Atzilut. He says after their death, they returned, and we explained last week in Pinhas, Ben Elazar, Ben Aharon Akohen. The purpose of correcting their souls, Nadav and Avihu had to return as an Ibur. Some say as a Gilgul in Eliyahu and Avi. They return as a Gilgul in Shmuel Hanavi, as a Gilgul in Eliash, Elisha the prophet, as a Gilgul in Hezekiah king, as a Gilgul in Matityahu, as a Gilgul in Akaviah ben Mahalalel, and so on and so forth. The rabbis list so many things they have to come back in order to fix themselves. Why? Because they were Gilgul of the Nefesh of Adam, and Adam had too much pride. When he was asked by Hashem after he made the sin, Adam, did you eat? He had a possible exit strategy. He could have fixed everything. He could have said, Tov lehodot la Hashem. It's good to admit. If he would have admitted, opportunity for teshuvah, all over. But he doesn't. Because of what? Gava pride. Moshe, before opening the Mishkan, there's the seven days of preparation. He tells Aharon and Aharon's sons, he tells his nephew, sit as if mourning. See Rashi over there. As if a person is in shiva'ah. Because someone may die, says Rashi. People have to know. Why sit? Because the Midat Hadin is running. There's swords swinging. You have to duck, get out of the way. There's Gezerot against us. To escape, we sit quietly on the floor. We become humble. We say nothing. We sit. Moshe Rabbeinu tells them seven days. Don't leave. Don't go anywhere. Avoid tragedy. Sit and be humble. Nadav and Avihu had this extra pride. Did they deserve to die? They continued the sin of Adam with this aspect of Sarat, of Gasut Ruach. We have this whole story of Naaman, the general. Why does he get Sarat? Because he has pride. Who am I? I am Naaman, the greatest warrior, the greatest general in the world. In the end, look what happens. He comes to Elisha and says, Can I take the dirt from Eretz Yisrael so that I could build an altar to Hashem? Ramban, Rabbin Moshe ben Nachman. He says there's a segula. A segula for Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night. A person can try to get rid of the Gezerot. He can protect himself from Ayin Hara by saying, and understanding eight pesukim. Each of these pesukims, each of these pesukim begins with the letter nun, and ends with the letter nun. And these pesukim block the ayin hara. You want a red string? This is better. This works. He says the sword of Naaman is he begins with a nun, he ends with a nun. He was the most proud person of the times. Naaman, chief of the army, one who killed Ahav, one who conquered Israel, one who was the hero of Aram. What happens? He gets Sarat, but he's a goy. No Lashon Hara. The lesson of the Haftarah is not just Lashon Hara. This whole aspect of getting sick is because a person has too much pride. The little girl sent him, go to Elisha. Elisha ignores him. He's fuming. Do you know who I am? 
send the message with the messenger. Go dip in the Jordan. He wants to go home. They have to convince him. Go dip. The Sarad leaves him. Why? Because he lowered his pride. He shed his pride. When one lowers his pride, he's protected. He's cured. He becomes so humble that he's literally, he runs the country. He could take anything he wants, but he's going to ask Elisha, can I take some dirt? Can I take some dirt? He's asking permission. Humility. Look at Gehaze, the servant of Elisha. He could have been the greatest. It could have been Eliyahu, Elisha, and Gehaze. He runs to Naaman. He lies. More things he wants. More money he wants. What does he get? He gets his money from Naaman. But it comes with the sarat that Naaman shed. It goes into him. That's the Haftarah of Tazriyah. The second Haftarah. Four people. They all have sarat. Who are they? Gehaze and his three children. Too much pride. But look now what happens. They realize it's all over. They're ready to die. Life is over. As if they're dead already. He says, what happened? What happened? They're the ones who go about showing B'nai Israel how they're saved. And you see the punchline. The king's assistant. He's the one who tells Elisha, impossible. Elisha tells him, tomorrow you could have as much food as you want. But the assistant has too much pride. This chief of staff of Yehoram, this general of Yehoram, he doesn't believe the Navi. How could he not believe Elisha? Elisha did so many miracles at that point. He refused this, this person to accept the miracles. We know in the beginning it says Elisha made 20 loaves of bread, feed an army of 100 people. We have the miracle with the oil with him, the child who comes back. All of these things. And this man still refuses to believe in Elisha. Those four, Harotzeh Lamut Yechieh, with humility, they bring redemption. And the assistant with his pride, he's killed at the gate. Pride he will not give up. Pride of Adam Arishon. And he becomes subject to death. A person who lowers himself, he can escape all of these gezerot. The root of Sarat, explains Rabbeinu Hari, is kavod and gava. With all due respect to the Chafetz Chaim Foundation, it's not just Lashonara. The idea as expressed by Rabbeinu Hari is Kavod and Gava, honor and pride. Sarat from Adam. Sarat from the snake. Hashem chopped off the snake, made Sarat on the snake. The skin of the snake is what we see as Sarat. He chopped his feet on your belly, on your throat you're going to crawl. Afar tochal, dirt you're going to eat. But when the Mashiach comes, everyone but the snake, because the snake is rooted in Gava and pride. It says in Sefer Yehoshua, Hashem, Hashem, we know, blessed Yosef. Yaakov Avinu blessed Yosef. He says to Yosef, Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Ale'ayin. You're going to be like the fish hiding under the water. 
Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Ale'ayin. Every time we count, every time we give a number, every time we share a number, how did we do today? What did we sell today? We sold X amount, Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Ale'ayin. We say this. The children of Ephraim, they needed lots of property. They come to Yoshua and says, you know, we need a lot of land, Yoshua. Why do you need so much land? And they say, we have the blessing. We're like fish. Perurfu, we're going to grow like the fish. We have the blessing from Yaakov Avinu. We have the blessing from Moshe Rabbeinu. And Yoshua says to him, if you have the blessing from Moshe, you better go hide in the forest. Don't think because Yaakov said, Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Ale'ayin, that you're immune. If you put yourself out, you're going to have trouble. If you put yourself in a place that the angels are going to notice you, you put a target on your back for them, then Satan is going to see you. A person, you want to die? Live too loudly. says the Gemara, He wants to be the chief rabbi. The people come to Elisha. says, Come another day. Of Naaman. The Gemara tells us the sons of the sons, the great grandchildren of Naaman, the general who conquered Israel, his great grandchildren are worthy to learn in Bnei Barak. We should remember after Shabbat, say these eight Pesukim. Immediately when Shabbat ends, the Kedushav Shabbat ends, the fight of the week begins. We say these these verses and they remind us of what we have to stay, of what we have to do, what we have to think. They all begin with the letter at noon, they end with the letter nun. One of the verses is when the tribes come to Yoshua, they say, Nachnuma, we're nothing. Says the Ari, says the Ramban. See the verses, Naaman, Benegad, Bene'uven, when they went to fight. In the conquering of the land, none of them were killed. Why? They said, Nachnu. Nachnu. Instead of A-Nachnu, they eliminated the I, or the big W from the we. It was the little we. They used the letter Nun. Nun stands for the word Nafal. Down to earth. That's how a person is saved. Naaman, he's healed because of his humility. Because the way Elisha puts him in his place and eventually accepts him. Explains that Rabbeinu Hari, the lesson here, the cure for everything that ails us is humility. There was one of these shows, uh, oh, I forgot the show, and they, they tell a story in the show that the, the rabbi told the person, go into the drugstore and ask them for a, ask them for a box of nails. What do you mean ask for a box of nails? It's for the hardware store. Now go to the drugstore, stand online and say, can I get a box of nails? The guy's going to look at you like you're an idiot. And they say, you know what? That's how you reduce your own pride. Interesting, I thought. Dari says the lesson, every cure is in humility. All sickness is in kiliport of pride. The answer is to become humble. The answer is to become humble. Moshe Rabbeinu, 120 years old. No glasses, no cane. No wheelchair, no facelift, no nothing. He had all his hair too. He says, why? Moshe Rabbeinu had humility. He was the most humble of all men. Hashem grants protection. 
everywhere we find the greatness of Hashem, the rabbis tell us it emphasizes His humility. And it's to teach us to protect ourselves, to survive the Gezerot. We have to admit, we have to accept the responsibility, we have to fix the sin of Adam. We have to see the Mashiach. There's so many stories that I could I could continue to tell you. And, and there are stories that tell us and the answers that tell us that we have. I, I have a bunch of stories that maybe I'll include them in the newsletter. And uh, about the Megalea Mukot and about this whole idea of having uh, humility. Also, I saw beautiful from Rav Chaim David Azulai, the uh, the Chida. The Chida brings, instead of the eight verses that the Ramban brings, he brings 11 verses from the Tanakh. All of these 11 verses begin with a Nun, and end with a nun sofit. And this provides the full effect of protecting one from falling spiritually and thus is a good protection from the ayin hara, from lashon hara, from witchcraft according to the chida. And all of these 11 verses begin with the letter nun, they end with the letter nun. He brings the first from Vaikra, from what we read, nega sarat kitiye be'adam vehuva el hakohen. So it begins with a nun, ends with a nun. Nega sarat that comes to a person, they bring him to the Kohen. When the plague of leprosy is in a man, he has to be brought to the Kohen. And he brings its eight words, 28 letters, the number eight is beyond nature, Sefirah Binah, 28 is Koach. And he explains that one of the significant spiritual laws is that one is not able to see themselves without the other people in the world acting as their mirror. This is why the Metzorah has to be brought to the priest, and only the priest who's able to determine if they're truly a Metzorah, or if, or if not, maybe some other disease. And he goes through each of the verses, beginning with a nun, ending with a nun, Bezrat Hashem, anyone who wants, will send this out as, a, as an attachment with uh, the copy of the class this week. So I, uh, I, I think it's really, really so powerful, really, really so powerful that... that that the Rabbi Nehemiah is telling us that so much of the evils that befall us we bring upon ourselves in some way because of our own pride, because of our own ga'ava. And sometimes maybe it's for our own protection. Hashem knocks our feet out from under us. Maybe it's like Elisha knocking the feet out of Naaman. And Naaman saying, you know, he accepted it. He accepted that Elisha is the prophet, that he's not the hero of the world that Hashem is the hero of the world, that He appreciates the gifts that He has, He appreciates what He's given. And that's really maybe the secret to protecting ourselves, to try to have humility, to think of the answer that was given to Alexander the Great. He says the person who wants to live should die. He says the person who wants to live, he should die. He should lower himself. He should cover himself. As we approach Pesach, we will keep this in mind as we... Uh, Many of us go away. Try, uh, try not to be the guy who says, uh, uh, "Don't you know who I am? Uh, you know who I'm talking. Know who you're talking to." Try to be the guy who's going to be a little more humble, a little more quiet, a little less showy. And bezrat Hashem, Hashem will bring us bracha, hatzacha. We say that uh, in Nisan we were redeemed, and bezrat Hashem in Nisan we will be redeemed again. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, next week uh, is Pesach we'll see if we can post on Pesach the next two Shabbats we read the Pashi we read uh, based on the on the holiday and uh, we continue 
with Achanimot in uh, three weeks. Papizrat Hashem will be posting uh, in the time, and uh, with Hashem's blessing, we're looking forward that uh, that we'll be able to be in Florida, and uh, we look forward to learning with everyone in Florida and seeing people who we haven't been able to see all winter because of uh, our inability to travel. Bezrat Hashem will be able to see everyone, and uh, I want to wish everyone uh, a wonderful Chag Hashem Sameach, happy and healthy. Like I say, we should all be zochet to see this Pesach Mashiach come b'mhera b'yamenu. Amen. Uh, great Shabbat, and God willing, we'll see you next week.